Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to Catalyst Festival. It's a great joy uh, to be here, to see so many friends from near and far, and it's just a delight uh, to serve you in the Word. Let's turn to Jonah, uh, if you're going to, if you have a Bible, if you can see out there, but um, Jonah chapter 1, and we'll get down to the Word, and I'll speak to you a little bit more this evening, I think, when I'm being interviewed. Okay, Jonah, and chapter 1, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord held a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid. And every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us, so we'll not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you've pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah 
was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Father, thank you for the joy and privilege of being in your presence here. Thank you, Father, for your grace to every life. Thank you for your mercy. Now, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Please come and be our teacher. Please lead us into truth. Help us to hear your voice. Come and invade every life. Bring about the obedience that comes from faith, that brings you glory. We ask for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess the story of Jonah is one of the most famous in the Bible, certainly one of the strangest, and many could say, well, it ain't necessarily so. Uh, it's a weird story. How could it possibly be true? A great fish swallowing a guy, uh, a whole city repenting, a good that grows up and fades away. I mean, the thing is ridiculous. And uh, many would just dismiss the story. And yet Jesus referred to Jonah uh, and in the same kind of breath that he referred to the queen of Sheba who was a clear historical figure. Uh, Jesus spoke of her, and Jesus spoke of Jonah uh, in a similar kind of way. Yeah, he was a figure of history. Not only was he referred to by Jesus, but you also find him referred to in 2 Kings, where in the rule of Jeroboam, who was a wicked king, uh, Jonah prophesied that the boundary would be extended, the nation would be blessed, and it says quite plainly in 2 Kings 14 that God restored the border of Israel. And it says, the Lord did this which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was in Gathheva. In other words, here's this guy. He's a historic prophet. And, and, and he had this great pleasure and ease of prophesying favor, blessing, at a time when Israel was backslidden, Jeroboam was a wicked king, and yet Jonah's saying, hey, the borders will be extended, and that exactly happened. So what a blessing to be a prophet who can say, hey, God's blessing you, and not have to confront the king in the way that others had to. Men like Elijah had to come to Ahab and confront him, and you'll find many of the prophets in the Bible had that calling that they had to confront the evil of their generation. Jonah is told the man will be blessed, borders will be extended. This is a very comfortable prophet. This is a very easy place to be. This is a ministry that is costing him very little. And then it says this, the word of the Lord came to him and suddenly life changed dramatically for Jonah. In fact, the book of Jonah is really the story which is the prophetic story. It's unlike other prophets in the Old Testament where you see chapter after chapter of what God is saying. If you turn to Isaiah, you'll find chapter and chapter, God speaking, God speaking, God speaking. You look at the book of Jonah, there are only eight words from God. The book is the story. The book is the revelation of God, His kindness, His mercy, not only to Nineveh, but even to the prophet. It's a revelation of God. It's the revelation of God's love, compassion, and the fulfilling of His purpose. So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and actually that phrase is underlining that he was an authentic prophet. You know, sometimes people are confused about what a prophet is. Uh, I've just read 
Boris Johnson's book about Churchill. I, I really enjoyed it. I love reading about Churchill. Uh, last year, I, wrote, I read a biography of Abraham Lincoln. I guess many of you have read the biography of Nelson Mandela. Uh, it's great reading about these people who some people would call prophetic. Why do they call Churchill? Why do they call Lincoln, Mandela? Why do they call them prophetic? Well, because they have certain characteristics that are like Bible prophets. They kind of stand out against their generation. They speak with a voice that ultimately the nation hears. Uh, there's something about them, something phenomenal about them. And in that sense, they're a bit like Bible prophets. But they're not actually like Bible prophets. There's a real difference. They are actually brilliant men. And Churchill was a student of history. And Churchill said this, the further you look back in the history, the more you will understand of future history. He was a guy who kind of had a feel for these things. He had a sense of history. He spoke against the tide, yes, but with real authority that came from a kind of wisdom that he had. Bible prophets aren't like that. Bible prophets are marked by this phrase, the word of the Lord came to him. Bible prophets are not brilliant people. Bible prophets are very ordinary people. You see the story of Amos when they said to Amos, go and prophesy somewhere else. You know, as though you're a professional prophet. He says, I'm not a professional prophet, I'm a farmer. But God says this to you. It's like God speaks to people. Jeremiah said, please don't speak to me anymore. I don't, every time I speak in your name, I get into trouble. And so these people are the mouthpiece of God. They are remarkable. They are phenomenal. When they speak, God's speaking. When they speak, God is speaking to the world. God is initially speaking to the people of Israel. And so they are God's instrument, God's channel of speaking. That's where we see the difference between a Bible prophet and people that are often called prophetic in the secular world, the Churchills of this world the Mandelas of this world. Yeah, they are remarkable people. We do right to respect them and honor them. But the Bible prophet is a different kind of guy. And God suddenly came to Jonah and said, I want you to go and declare judgment. Now, this is a very, sadly, backslidden prophet. You find that when God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, who's called a prophet, came to God and said, oh, Lord, don't do it. He pleaded with God. Lord, if you find 50, if you find 10, he's pleading with God. And in that sense, he's much more like a Bible prophet because a Bible prophet doesn't just hear from God, he speaks to God. He calls upon God. He, he, he has a, a sense of what God is feeling. He feels things in his heart. People like Jeremiah, they said, I can feel this judgment that's coming. I can already hear it. Hosea goes into an agony identifying with God's prophetic word. Usually, Bible prophets are much more engaged with him. So when God says to Moses, I'm going to blot out the nation, Moses pleads with God, no, you mustn't do it, Lord. There's something about Bible prophets that really kind of engage with God. They hear him, but they speak to him. Jonah's not a bit like that. Jonah hears from God. Jonah's indifferent to what's being said. He doesn't share anything of God's passion. 
And, and God says to him now, arise and go. Arise and go to Nineveh. And you'll find, for instance, Elijah. Elijah is a great prophet in the Bible. And the Lord speaks to Elijah, says, arise, go to the brook. What's the next verse say? So Elijah arose and went to the brook. Then it says, the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, go to Zarephath. What's the next verse say? Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. Sister Jonah, arise and go. And the next verse says, he arose and went the other way. (laughs) But why is this relevant to us? Why is this not just an ancient story? Who cares about this guy? Well, actually, one of the wonderful things that was prophesied in the Old Testament was this. In the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. In the last days, I'm going to have a a prophetic community. Back in the Old Testament, there's kind of one prophet around. If if you're lucky, you might hear Elijah. But, you know, you may, Samuel did his national tour. If you were in town, hey, the prophet's coming to town. Oh, really, I'm going to be out. Oh, miss the prophet. You know, there's one prophet going around. Samuel did his tour around the nation. And, And maybe you could go down to Shiloh and speak to him. But in the New Testament, they shall all prophesy. I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. And it says of the new covenant, each one shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Not even from the greatest to the least. Each one will know me. From the least to that, we'll be a prophetic community. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. We are incredibly privileged. We are a prophetic people. God has given us this wonderful ability to hear Him, to fellowship with Him, to draw near to Him, to be in His presence. God has done that for us. It says simply about Philip the evangelist. He said, he has four daughters who all prophesied. I wonder what breakfast was like in their home. Right, we can all prophesy. We are all ability, able to fulfill this destiny. This is the wonder of the church of God. We are a prophetic community, individually able to hear His voice, individually able to draw near and represent Him to our family, our neighborhood, our community, to be the voice of God to our generation. That's how God's made it. It's no longer isolated Jonah or Samuel or Elijah. It's a people, a prophetic community. We can all hear the voice of God. So here we find this story then is very relevant to us. We can be prophetic, but we may not be where we should be. And Jonah, sadly, is found out to be like that. Jonah, we're told then, goes the opposite direction. Now, that could be the end of the story for Jonah. That could take one verse in the Bible. It could be God said to Jonah, do this, and Jonah said no. And the next verse says, so God said to Amos, you come and do it. But it doesn't say that. And that's what our God is like. That is the wonder. That's my experience, my testimony, that God is not like that. He doesn't just want us getting a job done. 
He doesn't just say, okay, you're going to do it. Amos, you come and do it. God pursues his servant, just as he's pursuing some here this morning, because he's more interested in your life than he is in your job. He wants you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to come near to him. And God will call some of you today to come right back into his presence. Some of you who have drifted away, some of you have not treasured what it is to be in his presence. This morning, he's going to call you right back into his presence, right back into a fresh engagement with God. So it says here, he fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? It says in, if you know your Bible, it says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? It says, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. So it's like God's everywhere. So how can you run away from God? How can you not be in his presence? Well, we just need to stand back a bit and understand this. When it says presence, the, the Hebrew word is face. Face. He fled from face-to-face fellowship with God. We, the prophets had that privilege, face-to-face fellowship. Probably Moses is the most famous one. We're told that Moses, the people of Israel, would stand in the, at their tents, and Moses would walk through the camp, and he'd go into the tent of meeting, and he'd go and talk to God, and God would talk to him, and he'd come out, and his face is absolutely shining, because he's been face-to-face with God. He's been in the presence of the Lord. That's what it means. It means this breathtaking, phenomenal privilege of face-to-face fellowship. And he went from that. He's a prophet, and he gave that up. He went away from face-to-face fellowship. And in doing so, he threw away what it is to be a prophet. You can't be a prophet without being face-to-face. You can't speak to a generation unless you're receiving fresh revelation. So he, he, it's an amazing thing he did. We can read it just a phrase. He fled from the presence of the Lord. But what he's fleeing from is this supernatural, wonderful privilege of coming into the presence, the face-to-face fellowship with God. And it robbed him of all his authority. It robbed him of all his significance. He fled away. That's what it means. He fled from that presence. You know, David understood. David was also a prophet. He said, this is one thing I desire. That's what I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord. He knew what it was to be in the presence of God, to represent God, to write psalm after psalm, to lead a people in faith. He was in God's presence. He treasured that above everything else, to be in the presence of God. This guy threw it away. He threw it away. This massive privilege, he threw it away. Why? Well, because God said to him something he didn't want to hear. See, that's where the kind of tension comes. God says to us things we don't always want to hear. And our will and our preference And our lack of appetite to do what God wants, we we put these things in the balance and and we feel, well, I'd I'd rather do what I want to do. 
And in doing that, we get out from the presence of the Lord. We make choices in life that rob us of presence. You know, we, we may feel, well, when I was baptized, I gave myself to God. I said, Lord, I give you my life. And for a season, maybe we're walking with him, enjoying him. And, that, and then something comes on the horizon, and you think, Lord, I, I want that. I want him. I want her. I want that job. I want that. And, and you feel God saying certain things to you. God is speaking to you. You think, no, no, Lord, I'm a, <laughs> this is too big. Lord, I... And, and, and we kind of grab the steering wheel and we say, well, I, I'm going to drive for a bit. And we just say, Lord, I, I, I want this so much. You, you take the wheel back. And then you take the wheel back again. And after a while, you kind of think, well, God's in the car somewhere, but I'm driving it. And that sense of his face, well, you don't know really last when you felt that. That intimacy seems to have gone. I'm here. I'm in the meeting. I'm at camp. But that sense of intimacy, that sense of face to face, it's gone. And Jonah fled from that because, well, he didn't want to do what God said. Has God said things to you? you don't, well, I don't want to do that. I want you to befriend that refugee. I want you to get involved working the poor. Well, that's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. I don't know if I'm cut out for it. I want you to raise your family biblically. Oh, come on. Who can do that these days? Television. I want you to train them up. I want you to cherish your wife. I mean, cherish her. I said cherish her. Oh, come on. It's 21st century. I want you to obey your husband. He's a fool. It's 21st century. Come on. Forget it. You see, God, God whispers all sorts of things to his people. We're in his word day after day. And he speaks to us. Oh, I don't want to do that. We water it down. Oh, well, no one does that anymore. And, and the sense of face-to-face -face begins to... See, that, that sense of raw face-to-face. -face. Yes, Lord. Intimacy with God. Well, we're in the drift. We're in the drift. We're here. We're in the river. We don't necessarily feel the current. But we're kind of here. He fled from the presence of the Lord. Then we find this. It says, he's, he found a ship. All right, so God says, go this way. So he says, I'm going that way. And he gets there. And hey, what do you know? There's a ship going to Tarshish. That's where I want to go. There's a, you see, when you, once you get out of face-to-face, -face, anything that drifts across, you kind of get on board. I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to hear guys say, well, I know, but we were thrown together. I know I was disloyal to my wife, but I mean, she was so kind and thoughtful and I don't know, she was everything my wife wasn't, and we got thrown together. I mean, it just happened. It just kept on happening. We kept bumping into one another at the coffee, at work, and it just happened. I mean, it just happened. That's what it says about Jonah. He said, God says, go this way. He wants to go that way. Hey, there's a ship going that way. There's a ship going that way. 
reality is this, Satan's got a whole fleet of ships going that way. And we take it as guidance. We say, oh, it just happened. It's obviously God. We don't, we don't treasure this tender face-to-face fellowship. And this morning, God's calling you, I want you back. I want you back. Will you do that this morning? Say, Lord, I'll come back. I'll come back, Lord. I want to be in that. So he began to drift. He just took whatever came along. He got on board. Then we start find this. He fell asleep. He went into this boat, into the ship. He went down into it and fell asleep. He became irrelevant. There's nothing, hey, there's nothing wrong with sleep. Sleep would have been good last night, wouldn't it? Sleep, <laughs> sleep is good. I always thank God. <laughs> Somebody brought a text to me this morning. They said, please don't be offended with this verse. I feel God's giving you this word from Joshua. I said, okay, what is it? It, says, it starts, you are very old. I thought, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> but there's much more land to be possessed. It was food for me. And when you get to my age, you're very happy when you have a good night's sleep. This used not to be my first question in the morning. Did you sleep all right? Yeah, good. Hallelujah. Hey, this is good, especially with jet lag. I slept well last night. Sleep's good. I'm grateful for sleep. Nothing wrong with sleep. As Dave mentioned last night, there's a sleep that just comes from exhaustion. Jesus slept in a storm. He worked hard. He slept. But you get the sense here, it's not, it's not just the sleep of exhaustion. It's the sleep of opting out, denying who you are, losing the plot, that kind of sleep. And that can happen to you and me. It's like, hey, hey there's a prayer meeting on Friday. We're praying for, uh, what you mean? You're not coming to the prayer meeting? Well, you can't. Can you? I've got work all week. Come on. Oh, I see you're asleep. A small group on Wednesday night. Yeah, but I'm doing this and that. And anyway, the football's on. Oh, you've fallen asleep. I see. I see you're opting out. I don't like to think that. No, I didn't say, did you think that? I said, you're opting out. You're not in the battle. You're not in the battle. You're not thinking of these dear friends that, you know, we want to pray for in the Ukraine. Oh, well, that's the Ukraine. But we're praying for them. Yeah, well, God bless them. No, 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 we're just, we're not in the battle. We're not, we're not remembering those who are in prison as though you were in chains with them. We don't identify. We just go and sleep. You gone to sleep? Well, I never thought missing the prayer meeting was going to sleep. Well, look at the early church. No, you've gone to sleep. He went to sleep from boredom from dejection, depressed, lost the plot. He fell asleep. Where do you find you get your kicks? Television? What is it? What turns you on? Do you know you can even be bored in the middle of busyness? It's possible to be very, very busy and in your guts be very bored. Just want to escape some unreality some favorite program we can't miss now. Because inside, we just got bored. 
Then it says, he really failed the world. Because suddenly, the ship is in a crisis. Suddenly, the ship is being turned everywhere. Suddenly, it's going this way and that. And Jonah's forgotten he's a prophet. Jonah's forgotten who he is. He isn't, he's, not, he's not at the center of things. You see, when, when, when Moses was in the presence of the Lord, and it says Moses went before Pharaoh, and there's mighty Pharaoh, and, and, and Moses goes into Pharaoh and says to Pharaoh, let my people go that they might worship me. And mighty Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? Push off. I mean, it's amazing. You get this incredible encounter with God, burning bush, fire. Whoa, I'm going to fall. Pharaoh, let my people go. Who's the Lord? Push off. And you hit this other reality. You have this reality of meeting God. Then you have this reality of meeting Pharaoh. And suddenly, Pharaoh looks pretty big. And so what does Moses do? He goes back into the presence of the Lord. He says, Lord, they're saying this, that. They're saying, God says, go back and say this. So he goes back and says, another word. And Pharaoh says, no. And, and, and I've been working through Moses lately. Lately you find, as, it, as the story goes on, Pharaoh's coming down, down, down. Moses is going up, up, up. In the end, Moses says, go and please bless me. This man has come through with awesome authority. Why? Why? Because he goes back into the presence of the Lord. He encounters the authentic God. And this mighty Pharaoh has to yield. Because Moses really represents God. He's really prophetic. He comes from the presence of the Lord. It's the same with Elijah. Elijah confronts Ahab, the king. He says, it won't rain until I say so. It won't rain till you say so. Who are you? And they've got this lovely phrase that says, I stand in the presence of the God before whom I stand. And, you, and, and as you go on, you suddenly realize when Elijah speaks, God is speaking to you. That's what it is to be prophetic. That's what, that's what it is to be prophetic. When the people of God speak, God is speaking. Beloved, we're supposed to be prophetic. We live in a generation that isn't listening. We live, we live in a generation where our prime minister is saying, hey, church, catch up, catch up. It's 21st century, we're going to change marriage. Catch up, church, come on. It's 21st century, come on, just change your morals a bit. The world is waiting to see a church that looks as though it's coming from the presence of the Lord. Not a church that adapts, not a church that adopts. And beloved, that's not just a corporate thing. Why doesn't Justin Welby say something? It's about each of us. Each of us just being clear, being true. When we have opportunity at the school gate, with our unchristian family, our non-converted relatives. It's not that we're in their face, but it is that we know what we believe. 
we hold ground. And the tragedy of Jonah was this, he'd fallen asleep. He was irrelevant. He was irrelevant. Jesus said this, if the salt has lost its savor, it is what? Good for nothing, but to be trodden underfoot. Beloved, that's the call on your life and mine. God wants us, as we heard last night, we're God's light being cast out. We're God's seed being planted. You're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We are God's representatives. And beloved, if we've fallen asleep, if we're not in face-to-face fellowship, if we're withdrawing when God says personal things to us, God said a personal thing to Jonah, he's not going to do it. When the storm hits, he's got nothing to say. See, if we're compromising ourselves, and God has spoken to you, our words sound hollow anyway. Because our words have authority when we ourselves have been in that face-to-face fellowship. He was good for nothing. He failed the world. They're in a storm. And they care more about the storm than he does. Hey, we're in a storm. They're all getting their buckets, throwing water, calling on their gods. Sometimes the world looks as though it cares more than we do. What are we going to do about teenage binging? Teenage binge drinking is terrible. You find the people start, hey, will the churches help? You're good to gooders, aren't you? We're going to do something about it. Perhaps we can get the churches to help us. Will you have a bucket as well? Can we fight this? What about you helping? See, it seems that other people care. Come on, church, catch up. Jonah's asleep. And God comes to him, or at least they come to him, to who are you? Beloved, this is such a turning point. Who are you? Who are you? I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. You what? I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. You don't look like it. I, I remember when I was a young guy, I grew up in Brighton, and it's got a tremendous youth culture, and I was part of it. I, 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 was, I gave myself to that culture from early teens. I looked a bit older than my age, from about 14, 15, 16, I was in the pubs, I was, I loved it, I was part of it. And then my sister came home and said to me, I've become a Christian. I said, how do you become a Christian? I've been born again. Born again? What on earth is that? I didn't know what born again is. And she said, you can have your sins forgiven, you can know you're going to heaven. I thought, I said, why hasn't anybody told me this before? This is great news. And I knelt down in my home, and I asked Jesus into my heart. And I kind of meant it, but I got baptized. My sister was at John Stott's church. I went forward, I shook John Stott's hand. I mean, it's pretty authentic, eh? (laughs) But nothing changed, except I went to church on Sundays. The rest of my life... A shambles, total shambles. I remember once I was out with my gang of friends on a Saturday night in Brighton, which was pretty normal for me, and I'm running down the street, walking down the street with my friends, and we're all kind of going to the next bar, and a guy's standing there, my age, standing on the street. He said, would you like this? Would you like this? And I thought, <laughs> I took it from him. Jesus meets your need. 
gave me a tract. I felt, oh God, yeah, you know, I'm supposed to be me. I just pushed on. And a few weeks later, I was in church on a Sunday, and it had never happened to me before. That's all I changed. I went to church on Sundays. I'd sometimes read my Bible, sometimes pray, mostly to say, sorry about that, Lord. But this morning, I was in church one morning, and the word came to me, and it scared the life out of me. I'd never been scared of God before. And God said to me, well, the guy preached on this verse in Galatians, you did run well, who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And it penetrated my heart like a sword. There's probably 600 people there. I felt like I'm the only person there. And I felt God said this to me, I want your life. I want it now. And it came with this kind of urgency. It's now or never. Because I'd messed around. I'm sorry about that, Lord. Sorry about that. Sorry. And it just with frightening authority, I want your life now. And it's now or never. And I, I just, I was trembling in the presence of God. And I went home. And I got on my knees, and as far as I knew how, I gave my life to God. I lost all my friends. I lost an engagement. I lost my lifestyle. Everything, everything changed. Because I couldn't stay, and I had to get out. I'd been fooling around. God said, I want your life. A year or two later, I was filled with the Spirit. A year later, I was called into full-time ministry. And from then came an adventure that I could never, ever have dreamed about. I was just a backslidden teenager. And God said, I want your life. Have you done that yet? He said, Lord, I give you my life. I want your presence. I treasure it. I want to do what you say. That's what God's inviting you to. And there's wonderful words. It says, it says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. I love that. It came a second time. That's, that's, God's, that's the story of the Bible. God spoke a second time. To Simon Peter, I'm not with him. I don't know him. What are you playing at, Simon Peter? What are you doing around that fire? Oh, I'm not with him. Jesus comes back to him, Simon, do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. He spoke to him a second time. I'm calling you back into, do you love me? I'm calling you back into intimacy. I'm calling you back into my presence. And then it says this, Jonah went according to the word of the Lord. Not a different word. It wasn't, okay, Jonah, you've messed this one up. I'll give you this easy one. No, this is the word, Jonah. Come back to it. I don't change. I don't change. I don't change. He's the Lord. He doesn't change. We have to change. We have to come back to his unchanging purpose, his unchanging way. We come back to his way. We say, you are Lord. You say you speak, I'll do it your way. Will you do it this morning? 
He said, but I don't like doing that. I mean, nobody else does that. I'm asking you, I'm calling on you, will you live my way? Will you have my priorities? Will you come back into my presence? Let me close with this amazing thing. Jesus said this, one greater than Jonah was here. One greater than Jonah is here. What do you mean? Well, Jonah said, throw me into the storm, you go free. Throw me into the storm. And they gave him over. It says about Jesus, they gave him over to Pilate. They gave him over to the soldiers. But above it all, it says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him over. Beloved, we know one who was hurled into the storm, so we go free. One who said, throw me in. One who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. I came to give myself, I'll throw myself, throw me into the storm. Let me, you read Jonah too. You see what that storm was like. It's like it comes from the lips of Jesus. He went down, down, down. Jesus went down, down, down. So we could be free. Beloved, we can come to him free from all our failures, renewed in his love, hear him say, come to me, come back to me. Be a genuine prophetic people. Catalyst, God's calling us. Let's be a prophetic voice. Let's be a voice for our generation that's deaf, doesn't know they're walking in the dark. They're blind, they don't understand. And beloved, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're God's voice. God's saying to some of us, come back and be my voice. Come back and be my voice. Come back into my presence. Let's stand to pray. Stand to pray. Let's come to him. Let his spirit stir your heart. Will you, will you come back to him this morning? Father, we just come to you. Holy Spirit, I do ask you, will you, will you please win lives, families, husbands, wives, young men and women? Will you win them back right now? Just draw them right back. Get them back in the battle. Get them back into fellowship of intimate depth. Get them back where they can really be your voice to their colleagues, their fellow students. Oh Lord, that they might be those who come in and out of fellowship with you. Go out into face-to-face confrontation with a world that's going the other way. Come, Spirit of God. Beloved, our time is short. If you know God's spoken to you, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. Will you just respond to him right now? Would you just, right now, just slip out of your row, come to the front, and say, Lord, I'm here for you afresh. Will you do that? In your blocks, wherever you are, just come. Come right now. Let's just come and meet with Jesus and say, Lord, I want you more than anything else. I want you to make the calls more than any other thing, more than any other claim. 
I want you to be my preference all the time. I want you to be my preference. I'm coming to you with ministry team people. Just come quickly, come quickly. Don't block the aisles, just make space. Ministry team people, please catch up. I'm running late. I'm long-winded. It's always dangerous to invite me on a platform. Come to your block front, wherever that is. I'm going to pray. I'm sorry, musicians. We'll get on with it to cut time. I'm going to pray, and then when I've prayed, would you pray faith? Would you pray comfort and encouragement? Would you pray truth over these who have come? Just keep coming. Don't miss God. God is inviting you. It's as though God was speaking through me to you. Come, come, come. I've got such a ministry for you. Jonah saw a whole city. I mean, we could never have believed what it would do through him. God wants your life. He doesn't want your moments. He wants your life. It's such an adventure to say, Lord, you have it. You have the whole deal. You, you, can't, you can't put a value. When you say, Lord, you just take the whole deal. Not just moments, but the whole deal. Maybe you've never come to Christ before. He died that all your storms might be ended. That you might know peace. Let me just pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your kind, loving invitation. We so long to be salt and light in our generation. Lord, our generation is in such a storm. It is so bewildered. It is so blind, so ignorant, calling on all their different gods. But we've got the word of life. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you. We ask, have mercy on us where we have withdrawn from your presence. Forgive us, Father, when we've not put high value on this incredible privilege of face-to-face -face fellowship. We've not treasured it, Lord. We've not regarded it. We've been happy to wander out and drift onto the nearest boat. And Lord, we say we're sorry. We turn from it. We turn from it. We come to you, Jesus. As far as we know how, we want to give ourselves to you, to your holy cause. Oh God, we are here for you. This great movement you've raised up under David with these mighty men from the nations, this immense call on our being together. Oh Spirit of God, won't you clothe us with power? Won't you come to us and make us effective to our generation? Will you help us to raise up churches full of glory? Bless each one who's responding to you now. In Jesus' name, amen, oh God. Amen. Amen. You better go.